Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast with Jenny Kasson and Michelle Timish, two capital raising experts on a mission to demystify and equify the world of investment for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Listen in as they sit down with fundraising veterans and share with you the success stories and cautionary tales of outside-the-box capital raising. This is Capital Insight. Hi, this is Jenny Casson. Welcome to the Capital Insight Podcast. I'm here with Michelle Timish, my co-host, and today we're going to be talking about step three in the six-step process for designing your fundraising strategy. And step three, I think is probably the most complicated in my book. It's definitely the longest chapter because really there's an infinite number of options. And what it is, is what you're going to offer to your investor. So when you bring investors into your business, there's some kind of legal document that will govern your relationship with your investors. And it's going to talk about how your investors get paid. It's going to talk about your investors' rights with respect to any governance voting rights they might have. So, And there's so many different ways that you can document these relationships. There's so many different types of relationships. And so um, really, there's an infinite number of options. So we're going to just go over, um, there's basically five, um, what we call decision points under step three, and we're going to talk through those. You know, we won't go into a ton of detail because we could do that, you know, it could go on for for many hours, but we'll just give you a taste of the kinds of things that you'll want to be thinking about as you're designing your offering for your investors. And I do want to say that a lot of people, when they go out and look for investment, they don't really think about this piece. They just say, oh, I'm going to go find investors. And they start, you know, Googling around, sending pitch decks all over the place, doing pitch competitions. And they just don't even address the question of what is the investment going to be? And oftentimes they'll say, oh, you know, the investor will just tell me that. The investor will give me a term sheet. Um, But what we really recommend is you take the time to understand the options when it comes to the terms of the investment and choose what's best for you. That doesn't mean that there wouldn't be negotiation with potential investors. If they you know, want something different, fine, you can discuss it. But if you just go in with a totally blank slate and let them dictate the terms, chances are they're not going to be the right terms because you know best uh, what are the best terms for you given your goals, plans, values, et cetera. So we definitely recommend taking the time to think about your options and choose what's best for you, knowing that there will be some potential negotiation once you start talking to potential investors. So Michelle, do you have any general comments about this step, you know, the the importance of, of designing your term sheet and things to think about when you're designing your term sheet? Yes, I think, well, first of all, I want to say, Something that you touched on, which is the importance of customizing your offering. Uh, Most people don't even know that that's an option for them to customize their offering. And I know we've seen lots of situations where people have come to us after they've raised money and we see the agreements that they signed that in many cases, they don't even understand, frankly, And um, it's always really shocking to me that someone would raise money for their business without really understanding what obligations 
they're they're getting into, as well as some of the other provisions that go into these documents. So I think this is really, really critical. And I love the idea of of just teaching people the power that they have to come up with ideas that fit their business. So for example, you want to take a deep dive into your financial projections. Your numbers are really one of the first places that you should start to decide how much you need to raise. That informs you in terms of like, how quickly is that money going to come in? How quickly will you be profitable? Some of those things are really important when it comes to deciding what to offer. So I think financial projections is probably one of the first things that I would say you must have in order to do this right. Yes, I completely agree. I mean, if you don't know what's likely to happen over the next several years or have any, obviously projections are just guesses, but if you don't have even a guess as to what's likely to happen over the next few years, how can you possibly know what is reasonable to offer to investors in terms of a financial return? So that is an excellent point. And we do have a resource on our website, jennycasson.com, that does give you a, a pretty easy tool to create financial projections, if, you know, because that is, we do uh, ask our clients to get those done, at least a version of them before we do start talking about step three of what to offer. So um, I do also want to mention that there is a growing trend. It's been going on for a while, but it's getting even more recently, especially with crowdfunding platforms proliferating. And that is this desire to give founders off-the-shelf documents for their investments. So there's something called a safe. There's something called a crowd safe. There's this thing I saw recently, I think called a care. There's um, there's a, a series seed documents. There are all these off-the-shelf documents that are given to founders to raise money. And you know, people are told, oh, it's really easy and you can save money on a lawyer if you use these off the shelf documents. But as Michelle said, a lot of people end up signing documents that they don't even really know what they're agreeing to and end up really regretting it. So I'm not sure why you would ever put the future of your business in the hands of lawyers that couldn't care less about your business. They've drafted this standard document. Often their clients are the investors, not the, the entrepreneurs. So you know, just as you care a lot about every other aspect of your business, it's definitely worth taking the time to think about how your investors are coming in, what promises you're making to them, what commitments you're making, what what is likely to happen in the future, etc. And I also think that term sheets or the terms you offer, they send a bit of a message to um, they the way you draft your term sheets and the and your comfort level with describing them it does kind of send a message to your potential investors about you know how thoughtful you are about your business how much you've taken bothered to care about the customization of your offering to your business so okay we will dive into the five um decision points that are part of choosing what to offer to your investor so Decision point one has to do with what type of entity structure you have and how it's taxed. And so, you know, there's so many different entity types. There's limited liability companies, there's corporations, there's co-ops, there's nonprofits. And then, of course, there's different taxation. The most common ones are subchapter C, subchapter K, subchapter S, 
Um, and all of these things um, can have a big effect on how your investors might come in, what rights they can have. And this is really going to affect you more if you're taking on equity investors. If you're taking on a debt investor, it won't be as big of a deal. But if you're taking on equity investors, these are things that you want to just really be sure that you choose the right entity um, structure for your goals. So if you've already formed an entity, that's okay. You know, you may not need to change it, but you may need to think about changing it depending on how you're raising money. So I don't want to go too deep on this because we could spend a lot of time on it. But Michelle, do you have any general comments about the whole issue of what entity structure to choose and taxation and all of that? Yeah, I do think that um, looking at, especially if you if you if you're inclined to offer equity, one of the things that we see a lot is that people think very often about LLCs as the top entity choice because there's a lot of talk about the superiority of the asset protection aspect of being an LLC. And um, as I think we'll discuss later, this that can be really problematic when you're bringing in investors into something that is a pass-through. So um, you do want to be careful about what you pick. And it's important to know you know, how you're going to uh, raise the money if you're going to offer debt, for example, like you said, it's not a big deal. But if you're going to do equity, you really need to pay attention to this because you could be introducing tax issues for your investors that are not anticipated. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. And there are many, many options. And um, LLCs, for example, can elect to be taxed in many different ways. So, Choosing an LLC isn't necessarily destiny when it comes to how you're taxed, but you definitely need some good advice on choosing how you're taxed if if you do form an LLC. And, you know, we do want to just remind everyone, if you haven't heard us say it before, that you can be a nonprofit organization and raise money from investors. The only thing is you aren't able to offer equity. You can only offer a debt instrument. All right, so moving on to decision point number two, this is that decision between equity or debt. And, you know, people are at so many different levels when we talk about this question. I've talked to many, many people who don't really understand even what equity versus debt is. You know, what is equity? What is debt? Also, I talk to a lot of people who don't understand that debt is an investment. I hear people say sometimes, oh, you can either raise money from investors or get debt. (laughs) But debt is an investment just the same way equity is. Um, You can raise money from investors in the form of equity or debt. Um, Interestingly enough, Michelle and I right now are raising money for a business we're working on called Opportunity Main Street. And we're actually offering two options to investors. One is equity and one is debt. So you can even do both. So just really understanding which one is more appropriate for you. And there is kind of this third option, which is a convertible instrument. And that's some kind of a legal document where it might start out as one thing and then later convert into something else, which we won't go into detail on that now. But no matter how someone invests, it's going to be characterized by your accountant and by the IRS as either equity or debt, because that will affect the taxation. So whatever it is you're offering to investors, whether you 
choose or not, it's going to be equity or debt. So um, the general principle of equity versus debt is that equity is more patient and more risky for the investor because um, there's really no requirement that equity get paid back. And it can be quite a while before an equity investor gets paid in any way. And that's completely legal. In fact, it's not legal to pay an equity investor if unless you're profitable, basically. So equity is really a better fit when you need more patient money, whereas debt is money that you do have to pay back on a certain schedule. And if you don't meet that schedule, you actually whether you can pay it or not, you have to meet that schedule. So um, it's a bigger uh, obligation in terms of what you're committing to. But what is nice about it is you don't have to give up any ownership of your business it can also often be better from a tax perspective because the interest is deductible um, as an expense. Um, also, investors sometimes are more comfortable with debt because it is a little bit safer for them. If the company were to go out of business, your debt investors would get paid before your equity investors. Um, but yeah, Michelle, do you have any comments about equity versus debt and how to choose which is better? Yeah, I was thinking about um, actually I was, I got to confess, I was actually thinking when you were talking about, um, equity, I was thinking about equity crowdfunding and how much that term bugs me because, <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I wanted to say about, um, about debt, making the point that debt can actually be pretty creative. So even though you can, you know, it's, it's an obligation, you can do things like revenue share. You can be a little bit creative in debt. If, if you're at sort of a crossroads where debt is appealing to you because of all the reasons that you stay, you don't have to give up any control and you don't have to give up any control in equity either. It's just about how you structure it, but that that can be really appealing something like revenue share, which has become really popular, meaning that you're really paying back based on how you're doing as a company. And that can be really appealing for a company that's looking for investment because your burden is a lot lower earlier in your life cycle than it is later. And that can make, make something like a debt instrument make more sense. Um, And then the other thing is noting that equity we typically think of equity as the loss of control and that doesn't necessarily um, mean it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. There's a lot of myths about both equity and debt. And I think you make a really good point about debt. I think a lot of people we talk to are kind of averse to debt. They're afraid of debt because when they think of debt, they think of like the credit card bill with the huge, um, you know, interest rate or the bank loan, where if you're five days late, there's a late fee and maybe they start sending collections after you. And and by the way, you have to put up collateral and a personal guarantee. And so people have had bad experiences with debt, of course. Um, but when you raise money from investors in the form of debt, it can be much more friendly and patient and supportive. And we have many, many examples of that that we've shared in in other episodes. But yeah, we'll go into... So that really does lead into step three, which is what are the economic rights of your investors? So whether you've chosen equity or debt, what are the details of that? So if you do choose debt, you can have 
much more kind of flexible patient terms than you would typically get from a bank, let's say. So as Michelle was saying, you could do revenue-based debt, which is growing in popularity. And that's where your payment on the debt is going to change based on your revenues, either gross revenues, net revenues, anything, any way you want to define it in the agreement. And what's so nice about that is that if you do have a bad year, your payment will be lower. And then if you have a good year, it'll be higher. And your investors are really um, incentivized to do everything they can to support you because oftentimes the more the better you do, the better they will do in terms of their payment. Unlike a typical loan where it's like, okay, it's a you know 5% annual interest paid back over five years. It's there's no excitement if the company does really well it has no effect on how you're paid whereas with revenue based debt investors get, can get quite excited if you do well cuz their returns can be better so that's just one example of how you can customize returns for debt and then with equity there's many many ways investors can get paid um in the venture capital model the way investors get paid is when you sell your company usually that you know the liquidity event, um, but you don't have to sell your company for your investors to get paid. You can do profit sharing in the form of dividends or you know profit distributions. You can have um, exits built in where there's a way for investors to exit without you having to sell the company. There's all kinds of creative things you can do with equity that allows you to have make sure your investors get fairly compensated without you being forced to sell the company. So, Michelle, any comments on the economic rights of these potential investment tools? Yeah, I'll say that the economic rights, this is why your financial projections are actually really important, because it helps you see and analyze what the future of your company is going to look like. Will you, will this, is this one and done? Will you have to raise more money in the future? These things really help you inform the decision about what economic rights to offer. Sometimes we see people being out of the gates uh, too generous, um, you know, not really taking into account the fact that they they might need to raise more money later. So again, I, I harp back to the projections that might not seem super connected to the economic rights, but in fact, as a decision point, those numbers give you the insight that you need to decide what you can afford and what's reasonable. And again, uh, they're, they're, they're just guesses. Your projections are just guesses, but what they do is they give insight into your thought process, how you're thinking about the future of this company. So I would say that these two things are really closely tied and remind people that the answers probably lie in your numbers. Yeah, and that brings up a really good point, which has to do with valuation. When you do offer an equity investment, you do have to set a value on your company. And the value you set will affect how much ownership you give up. So um, as Michelle said, like if you take the time to think about the future of your business, you might realize, oh, you know, in year three, we, we're going to plan to do such and such thing and we'll probably need to raise money again. So that means that right now I probably need to make sure that my valuation is such that I'm not giving up such a big chunk of ownership of my company that by the time I want to raise more, you know, there's not a lot of 
room left for me to, you know, continue to have a reasonable ownership interest in my company. So, and of course we could, I think we've probably done podcasts already or, or at least YouTube videos on the whole issue of valuation and, and how to do it. And, uh, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but but setting that's one reason a lot of people don't like to offer equity is because it does require that you set a valuation, but you can just choose a valuation based on how much ownership you want to give up, that there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need a professional to come in and tell you the value of your company. All right. So step four is governance rights. So this is where you decide how much rights you want to give away to your investors in terms of voting and the ability to have control over the business. And this one is usually pretty easy for our clients. 99% of our clients say, I don't want to give up any voting rights at all, which is great. Um, but occasionally um, with, with equity investors, sometimes um, you might want them to have certain voting rights, like maybe the right to select one board member, there are some investors that are a little bit more demanding with this, where they want the ability to at least there's something called protective provisions where they, they say, you know, we don't necessarily need to have control over every decision, but if you make a big decision, we want the ability to weigh in on that. Um, but the good news is whether you're selling equity or debt to your investors, you do not have to give up any control. Any comments on that, Michelle? Yeah, I think keeping in mind that you're really, you're hiring your boss. If you bring somebody into the, into governing your, your company, and it's not always a great fit to have the money and the control be in the hands of the investor. Yeah. I mean, there's so many horror stories of people who too easily gave up control and and really lived to regret it. I'm I, a majority of founders of companies that become, that get backed by venture capital end up losing their job and losing their baby. <laughs> so ideally you won't let that happen. Um, okay. Step five is, um, it's the fun one. It's called, we call it the perk step. And this is where you decide, am I going to give any perks beyond the economic and governance rights to my investors. So, you know, you can make it super fun. Michelle and I are uh, raising money right now for a project based in Baltimore. So for our big investors, we offer like the Baltimore getaway package where we, you know, wine and dine you in Baltimore and treat you to a luxury experience. Um, you know, there's, especially when you are doing investment crowdfunding, you might offer different perks for different levels of investment to encourage people to invest more. But yeah, it's totally optional. There's plenty of people who successfully raise money without this step, but it is, it can be really fun. And, and some investors get more excited about the perks than the investment itself. Michelle, any comments? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I was just trying to think of all the all the little local businesses. And I think the more local too, especially depending on if you have a product or sell, or maybe you're a distillery or a brewery and people can, you know, belly up to the bar and get their little special special treat or wear their cap, their baseball cap. So it can it can be anything from swag to uh events. Um, it is nice, a nice idea 
to bring your investors together, particularly if that's if it's important to you that they be part of your community. And the reason that you sought investment from them from the first place was because they love what you do. So lots of fun can be had there. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's important to remember that investors invest for so many different reasons. They're not only thinking about the financial return. There's so many different things that might motivate them. So this is a way that you can kind of get them excited, help them feel a part of something that they value and, you know, don't downplay the importance of it. Sometimes there's something about your business that you kind of take for granted because it's it's something you do every day and you you don't think it's that special, but there might be people who would be thrilled to be a part of it. You know, for example, like with our business, it, the one we're doing in Baltimore, like one of the things we do is we spend a lot of time with really cool entrepreneurs. And for us, that's just normal. Like we do that. That's kind of normal for us. We spend every single day with entrepreneurs, but there are people out there who maybe have a corporate job and they're really bored and they live out in the suburbs and they can't think of anything more fun than to come hang out with a group of vibrant, interesting, diverse entrepreneurs, you know, and we can give people that, that experience as a perk to investing in our business. So think about whether you have anything in your business that might be comparable, that might get people excited. All right. So that was a very quick overview of step three, designing your investment offering. And we hope you liked it. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the Capital Insight Podcast. Do you have any questions for our securities lawyers and capital raising experts? Call the podcast hotline and leave us a message at 866-552-7726, extension 5. You can also send other inquiries to podcast at jennycasson.com. We'd love to hear from you. Music for the Capital Insight podcast is still searching by Damon Criswell via Audio Hero. Thank you for listening to Capital Insight with Jenny Casson and Michelle Timish. Until next time.